Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of Everyone Hates Marketers.com, the No Fluff Actionable Marketing Podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to hire, how to train, how to manage junior marketers instead of maybe hiring folks with 20 plus years of experience. My guest today is the Chief Growth Officer at Vengage, which is a free infographic maker. She joined Vengage as the digital marketer, moved to head of marketing, and now is uh, the Chief Growth Officer, so a pretty steep uh, career path. She wrote for Huffington Post, Entrepreneur, The Next Web, Forbes, and also created a web series where she shares marketing tips and strategies for business owners after a few or too many drinks. So I cannot wait to be invited to that. Nadia Koja, welcome. Thank you. So why do companies tend to hire super experienced marketers instead of trying to hire junior ones? I think the reason for that is because there's this assumption that everybody needs to have rock stars on their team. And I actually just saw a tweet by Brianne Kimmel recently where she talks about hiring rock stars and how everyone wants to hire rock stars. And realistically, you know, they're expensive, they're high maintenance and they're unreliable. But when people are starting at these companies, you know, they have, an, we want a track record of success. So we're trying to look for these top people. And as a result, we spend a lot of money on trying to get them, but then they have a certain way of doing things or understanding things. So eventually I think you realize that it's either their way or you have to really focus on untraining somebody to work in a different style that maybe fits your business or your industry a little bit better. And I mean, I don't have that background, right? I didn't have a marketing background. I don't have an education in business. I actually have a theater degree. So when I applied to Vengage, I didn't even know what marketing was, or I didn't know a lot about the tech industry. It was just a matter of like, you know, I'm, I want to work hard and, and figure something out. Um, but I think that's why people try to hire these like experienced marketers and experienced professionals, just because there is that proven track record of success. Um, so we forget to, uh, we forget or don't pay attention to the problems that could potentially come up with that. And so tell me more, it sounds like it's coming from a personal experience of yours, or at least mistakes you might have made in the past. Is there a particular story you want to share about the time where you actually hired someone like this or some stuff you learned from that? Yeah. I'm, I mean, so when, when we were starting out now, because I didn't have the experience before and I didn't think it was necessary, a lot of our early hires were unexperienced, uh, not just marketers, but like unexperienced product designers, unexperienced everything. Um, our CEO is also learning um, as we were growing, right? Like he had a product background, um, not necessarily, he hadn't really run a, a big business on his own and we don't have funding. So we don't have like a board of directors or advisors that are helping us out along the way. It's, it's really all all us trying to figure everything out and making our own mistakes. So by hiring unexperienced people early on, we somehow managed to figure it out. And as we grew, we started thinking, okay, now we need some more experienced people to come in. Uh, do we want to hire managers from outside or do we want to train management up? We're, we've been pretty smart in the way that we've approached our own growth. So we talked to a lot of you know, other CEOs and founders to learn about their experiences before we make our own judgment calls. But yeah, we've hired people who are experienced in the past. And the funny thing is, those are the people that don't last very long. Um, and I think of all the like highly experienced people that have come in and we're like, oh, okay, like maybe they don't fit our culture. Or they're a little bit expensive, but let's just take the risk. They've all failed. Um, and I think the reason for that is because they have really high expectations. They're used to working in a certain way. And our culture is really, really fast paced and um, pretty intense. Right. So when people come in and they're and they're looking for some like a cushy job, that's not what they're getting. They're getting an environment that's constantly moving. And it's, I think the best quote I heard somebody tell me the other day was one of the engineers said, I've been here for three months, but every day feels like 15 minutes. So it feels like a year. And it's true, right? But as a result, like people stay a lot longer and feel a lot more comfortable quickly because they're doing so many things. But the more experienced people just can't keep up with the different way of working or like the different processes and having to follow those processes. So there is a little bit of entitlement there. And I think that's why 
why it just hasn't worked. Uh, like I said, it's harder to untrain people than it is to train people. So do you think the main reason why those people didn't work out was because of the culture itself, not necessarily a lack of skills or lack of knowledge, right? It was mostly they didn't fit the culture, the fast pace, they didn't understand the processes, or at least they wanted to change those processes to something they were more comfortable yeah, with? Yeah, I totally think it. it I totally think it's a culture fit. And part of like the main thing that we hire for is culture or core value fit and talent, right? We don't really care about skills or knowledge because the idea is if you have the right core values, you have the right talent, you'll learn the skills. Skills and knowledge is something that can be constantly developed. So that's actually the last thing I look at. I hardly look at resumes when people come in. In fact, some people, they'll bring me their resume and I'm like, oh, right. Like, I, I don't know what school you went to. Like, I don't know what your previous somebody a new hire was talking to me about like a previous job I'm like oh I didn't know you lived there and then people are like why did you hire this person you're not even paying attention to their experience uh, and the truth is people who have a lot of years of experience um, and don't have a, like a proven track record for getting results aren't aren't usually a good fit right so I think that's a good way to explain the problems that that companies have when they hire and why they shouldn't really look at experienced people So as I said to you before we started to record this episode, a lot of people listening to this podcast are actually want to become marketers and they don't necessarily, you know, are marketers with experience. So I think what you're going to say is going to be interesting to them, but also a lot of people hire people, uh, hire marketers. So they're also going to probably enjoy your answer. So from what you've learned the last few years, how do you like to hire those new marketers? What is your process? What do you like to look to look at? Yeah. So like I said, we, we have different core values that we look at and ultimately we, we try to focus on hiring for those, for culture. So our core values, I mean, they're pretty synonymous with a lot of different tech companies, right? We all have like the same jargon that we kind of spew to each other and it's just like the same bullshit over and over again. But we actually, we try to hold closely to those values and we try to make them values that, that, the CEO, myself, a lot of the leadership leadership team encompasses well. And it's, you know, it comes down to owning your job and being accountable for what you're doing, being data driven and able to reflect on real results uh, and being growth oriented. I think those are the main um, things that we look for. So we have different like at the starting point, we have different questions, interview questions that touch on each of those things that we're looking for. So a lot of the questions are very focused on like, for instance, uh, we put our customers fo first as one of our uh, main core, core values. So when we're looking at talking to people, we're asking them questions that we can make inferences about, you know, their self-awareness. Do they actually care about customers? Are they willing to put themselves first in order to or put themselves Uh, in a difficult position or in one that they maybe don't like for the sake of the user, um, what kind of things are they doing in order to learn and progress? Um, and what have they done that shows uh, accountability and, and shows self-improvement, things like that. Um, and that's really the starting point. Our interviews are long processes. We actually had somebody that came in. Um, it was from a LinkedIn post. And I, you know, it was like somebody with experience looking for a marketing position. Um, and I invited them to apply. That was it. Um, and then uh, they applied and came in for an interview. But um, they've been working for five years. You know, their salary expectation was pretty high. They wanted a manager title, yada, yada, yada. And then when it came down to it and I was trying to get a sense of results that they had had, uh, they couldn't really you know, articulate that to me well, or it wasn't that impressive. So we ended up not moving forward. And then the person got upset, wrote an article about it online, about how it was such a waste of time for them. And I'm like, well, we spend three and, and they, their assumption was that it was the high salary. That was the reason that we chose not to move forward. Um, we usually ask for salary at the end of the interview so that we don't make a biased decision based on what somebody wants. We try to make a decision before we even ask for the salary, because if we really want somebody it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah. And it was just like this assumption and this total lack of self-awareness coming into the interview where I was just like, by all means, that's not what it was about. Um, and so it's the, it's the little things like that, that we can, 
that we're really looking for. But somebody who's a critical thinker and, and who has the self-awareness will figure out a lot of the skills and the knowledge that they need to. Right. So you start with your values and you, you match those values with, with, uh, with, uh, and then you have questions that try to answer those to, to, to see whether they have those values. As you said, tech companies in yeah. particular have mostly the same bullshit, right? The same values. What matters the most is how they actually embody them. Like how do they actually do that in the day to day? So give me an example of questions. Maybe the, maybe I know you might have more questions than this, but maybe the top three questions that you use to really understand whether someone has the values that you want in Vengage? Mm -hmm. That's tricky. There's a lot of questions. Like I said, the interviews are like three hours long. And the reason for that is so that we can really get to know the person. But one of my favorite questions that kind of catches everyone off guard is um, what is something inventive and memorable that you did as a child that people still talk about today? And the reason for asking that is core values are inherent, right? These are things that don't change and it's a little bit more deep rooted than something that you can learn how to do. So if somebody can answer that and I can see that they have a track record, even as a kid of being of like thinking outside the box of being able to maybe break some of the rules at a young age, but not be scared about it and, and, and learn from breaking those rules and how they talk about it. It's like, that's the question where I finally see people like drop their guard and then they're like, Oh my God, let me tell you about this one time. And then they get really excited and I can actually see who they really are. Um, and I try to ask that maybe it's like the third question I ask and um, in a lot of cases, you can you can learn a lot about how somebody is now based on the things that they did as a kid or what they consider inventive as a child. And so it's kind of yeah, making inferences based on those questions, because, you know, when you ask somebody like the generic question, what are your strengths and weaknesses? People are just going to tell you what they want to what they think you want to hear. So you can't trust something like that. So you have to ask questions where there is no obvious right or wrong answer. Um, but you know what you're looking for from it. And that just comes from practicing and failing from based on the answer. So uh, yeah, it's just down to reading people and understanding what people are implying. So that's a fantastic question. I've actually never heard this one before, um, which is great. Um, so let tell you what, I'm going to try to answer it myself and I'm going to ask you to answer it. Right. Uh, what I'm thinking about straight away is I, from the, the title of the podcast, you can guess that I'm quite contrarian. I like to say no. I like to see the majority of people doing something. I like to do the opposite just to see. And that from a very young age, I've been doing that with my mom a lot. Everything she was telling me, I would do the opposite. And like she says, from the moment I could talk, I would do that. Right. I just as a mechanism to, to be noticed. And I just, I think it's been ingrained in my brain. Since then, like everything that I'm being told, I try to look at the opposite way and see whether that could work. And she got pissed off at me for years and years and years for doing this, right? But that got embedded in my DNA. So now at this stage, it's like everything that I do in marketing, I'm trying to do the opposite for good reasons. I'm not doing it for the, for, for the sake of it. That's my summarized answer to this. But yeah, it really made me think. And it's a great way to know what values are shaped into people's personality, right? Not just something they've learned yesterday. So let me ask you the question then. What about you? So, yeah, that's that's your answer is very like down to the behavior. I would I would actually follow up with what's like a specific instance or a specific example of a time when you did that. Like what exactly happened? When I was a, when um, I was like a kid. I'm, yeah. I'm more interested to know an exact example. Like tell me a specific story. Okay. So where you had you contradicted something. Do you remember the do you remember the Internet? The first modem, the 56K type of type of modem right where you would uh, you would set them up you would do this weird fucking noise and you waited two minutes to get online and i used to be i used to be on the internet all the time but remember when you when you connected this way people couldn't call on the other line right and so my mom tried to call her sisters and that kind of stuff every time so i i put up in place a mechanism where i would make her think that I was on the phone with someone, so I would talk out loud on the phone, like so they said to a friend about homework. But in fact, I was not. I was just using the internet for that. And I've done that multiple times. There's not one instance because I've done it so many fucking times. But yeah, that's <laughs> what sprang to mind. Probably not the best question, but we're not in a, in a job interview. So I'll, I'll do my best. I'll think about it again. 
Yeah, no, that's good because to me, that's just like a sign of an early growth hacker, right? Being able to find a creative solution in order to get the result that you want. Yeah, um, that's growth yeah. hacker is, is, yeah, okay. I don't, I don't like the term because I'm, you know, again, because marketer every, everyone is using it. Is it? <laughs> that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Okay, so I'm super curious about you now. Tell me, tell me what's the one instance. Yeah, so similar to you, like there was a lot of things, right? But I think as a kid, I was always coming up with these schemes with my friends and I would kind of like rope people into these ideas that I had. I would be like, guys, we're going to do this. And they're like, I don't really want to. Like, I just want to play in the playground or in the sandbox. I'm like, no, guys, this is going to be the next big thing. And then I just had like, I used to do this kind of stuff all the time. But one specific example would be when we were in the third grade, um, I had this idea to take over the swing sets, you know, in the playgrounds, there's like all the swing sets and come up with all of these rides and we would make, so I, I got my friends to do it. So we started with us doing it and just like spin each other around and we made up these rides and we came up with all these cool names for them. And I was like, Hey, this is really fun. What if we get other people to come try the rides. Um, and so like all, some of the like grade ones and grade two started coming along and being like, Oh, I want to ride on the swing. So we started this business essentially where we would tell kids to bring, you know, like any pocket change they had, like a nickel or a dime here and there. Um, and they would wait in line and for the ride. So then it got to a point where every recess we had these long lines of kids, like with their change or with their snacks from like their lunch that they wanted to trade in for like a two second ride to the point where even like some grade four, grade five kids were also waiting in line. Um, and we kept that going until the teachers found out and they were like, you can't charge people able to use the public swing sets. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it went on for a pretty long time, but like I used to do kind of things like that all the time. And, and the funny thing is like, we would actually make revenue from it. Um, not like a big yield or anything, but I think that was like the early entrepreneurial days. That's a nice one. I can see you've thought about this answer for a long time, uh, after interviewing <laughs> those people, another one, and then we can move on to another question. Perhaps, uh, when I was in high school, 16, uh, or 15, we were watching the Winter Olympics uh, with my friends. And you know, this, this sport, I mean, you're in Canada, right? So you know curling. So you know, this kind of mm -hmm. the stone that you move away uh, through the ice and you sweep in front of it. It's like very weird when you've never heard of it before. And we've yeah. never heard of it before. We watched that. And I, for some reason, we went bonkers about it. So we created new rules about it and we tried to make it to democratize it a bit. And I created a website called, it was called curlingpassion.fr about trying to push people to you to to use those new rules and we had brand new names and and all of that and we had members from our from our high school on the forum that i had created posting about curling and shit like this just taking the piece because we didn't know any of it um that's another thing that i remember that's so i liked <laughs> i like this kind of shit but yeah i, I very much like this question because yeah you can really understand someone's personality from it so thanks for sharing it uh, I don't know if your second question will be as good as this one, but let's try it, right? So I know you have a lot of questions during interviews, but if you had to select another one that stands out, that really helps you to understand people's personality or values, what would it be? Another question that I like asking is what is a recent habit that you've, I guess, developed that has greatly changed um, your life in some way. So what is a recent habit that they've taken on? Um, again, not a, there's no right or wrong answer. Any habit, um, anyone can have any different habits, but it's more about how, how they connect the dots between that habit and how it changed their life for the positive. And, and that one is a lot about like, how do you grow, but also how do you reflect on your growth? I'm compelled to answer to this one as well, just so, because I don't want to ask you without saying first, right? You realize this is just a preliminary yeah. interview, right? You're going to get your job offer off. <laughs> I know, but like, I'm compelled to answer because it really makes you think and I like it. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to ask you first though. So give an example, for example, for you then. What's the, what's the habit that you took recently? I guess one, so... I'll tie it back to marketing. Um, when running experiments, you know, you try to make iterative choices. Nobody ever runs into something fully where they're like, let me build this huge project and it will take eight months and it'll be awesome. It, it's all about iterative improvements. Um, so I started applying that method of thinking to a lot of, a lot of different 
parts of my life, but specifically like going to the gym and working out. Um, and one of the things is like, I was getting really frustrated by just like doing the same thing at the gym all the time. And I wasn't seeing a lot of results and I don't really like cardio. So I started doing these micro weekly sprints of different tasks or experiments that I had to do. So one would be like, okay, the, like just to get back into the routine would be like, I have to go every day. It doesn't matter how long I go. It could even be five minutes. I just have to get there. Uh, that would be week one. And then week two would be like, okay, I have to do, um, a full week of just lifting and it'd be like different, a different body part every day for an hour, every single day. And then the next week would be like everyday cardio. And then the week after that would be like half cardio, half this. And then by the end of a month, like I was, I had gotten into way better shape and I wasn't bored because every week was changing. Um, so I just like started applying that, um, method to new, ha new habits and new things that I wanted to try and just doing the sprint approach and the iterative approach. So it's not necessarily just one habit but it's like how do you think about approaching habit changing uh it's funny because the example i would have would be the same i used to not go to the gym whatsoever and i used to burn out every few months because i was just working you know nine to ten hours a day without interrupting myself so what i've done now is i'm going to the gym in the middle of the day to have a proper break between the two and yeah, it's been amazing in terms of my productivity, my mental health, my anxiety levels have dropped drastically since I've done that nine months ago. And it made me more productive, even though I were probably 30% less and I'm mm -hmm. way more productive. So yeah, also a great question. I can see last one. I know, I know it's challenging. I know you can't necessarily pick just one, but let's, for the sake of it, let's pick another one and then we can move on to the next step in the process. Okay. I'm trying to think of some of the ones that I like at the top of my head. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you what my last question or tell you what the last question in the interview is. It's um, right when everybody thinks everything's done, I ask them, what is one question I should have asked that I didn't ask? Um, and that usually stumps people and it forces them to think of something. So what, what great answers did you get from that? If you can remember. A lot of people, you know, say they're crap, like, oh, when can I start or how much do you want? Like some stupid thing like that. Um, but some people have um, some insightful questions where they'll actually think through all of the questions that I asked. A lot of them are like, well, uh, you didn't ask me like what the first. So I think somebody was like, what, what they they would have asked, what would my what would your four week plan look like? Um, after joining and what were the first things that you would uh, want to do when you start at the company, something right. along those lines. Um, I like questions like that because, you know, the, it, again, they're results focused, they're strategic. You can tell the person is actually thinking of, I'm going to have a plan when I start. So I'm like, okay, great. Tell me the answer. <laughs> yeah. So someone who can look forward to not just, I'm going to get my first salary, I'm going to be hired at this date, but thinking ahead already, thinking strategically, what are the core objectives? What are the I don't know the objectives and key results. What are the, what is my plan? What are my top three priorities? People are looking yeah. ahead, right? Or any, any question where you can see that they obviously have some other benefit that they want to talk about, like something that they think is a strength of theirs that they haven't had an opportunity to share. So it's really an op it's a chance for them to have that moment to share that strength. And the ones who are self-aware are the ones that are like, you didn't ask me about this. And I think this is really important. And here's why. Cool. Yeah, thanks so much for, for going through this. I know it's tough to, to, to pick something on the spot like this, but you did a great job. And I think people listening took a lot of notes already. So now let's say you're, you're going through these three-hour interviews. You have a few people coming in that seem interesting. How do you select the right ones? Like what, what is your process then to, to select the people that fit these values and that fits the type of people you want in your company? Yeah, so I think... We get a lot of people to interview and the, the reason for that is we want to get different perspectives, right? And, and maybe somebody will have caught something that somebody else didn't catch. Um, and then we review right at the end of the in interview and we make a decision right on the spot. And the reason for that is so that it's still fresh in our heads, but we've based on some of the mistakes we've made. And, and I think Eugene and I, uh, so Eugene's the CEO, we, we think very similarly and, and we're, quite, we have a, a good balance in understanding the strengths in somebody else. And I think we can spot uh, very important differences. And other people that have interviewed, like some people are 
are not as experienced with interviewing and they might think somebody's great and focus on the skills and maybe not pay as much attention to the core values or maybe not see the value in paying attention to that as closely. But it's really come down to if Eugene and I are both 100% yes and we agree on the candidate, then or at least one of us has to be 100% yes in order to hire somebody. But in the past, like there have been instances where I was like, this candidate is a really good fit and he he'll be like you're not seeing it right this other person is a fit and I'm like you're wrong this person isn't a fit um, and then it'll be this thing where I'm like well let's hire both and then decide after right and then sure enough like there'll there'll always be opportunities where one of us may have caught something that the other person didn't um, but yeah I mean as, I think as long as we we keep coming back to this thought of if we're not a hundred percent yes this is a good fit then and there's any type of hesitation if there's any sort of hesitation we don't move forward yeah i'm glad you're mentioning this i've made the mistake in the past where you know you have something in the back of your head that says yeah it's it's a maybe or it's a it's a yes but it's you know she did that or he did that and i'm not too sure usually from experience that blows up right I mean, from an mm -hmm. interview, it's a small thing and then they join and then it starts to become a big thing. And then every day it's bigger and bigger. And after three months, you're like, fuck, what have we done? You know, right? So yeah, it's probably one of the biggest tips to give away for people hiring is like, if it's not hundred percent yes, as you said, then it's a no, it can't just be a, a greenish yes. It has to be yes yeah. or no. Totally. So you have that and you, you make the decision like this on the spot, right? Um, so once, let's say they've joined, let's say you decide that you're going to go ahead with those people. Um, it's about like the onboarding and making sure they, they're comfortable, they know what they're doing. Before we move into this yeah. step then, is there anything in, in the step before that you'd like to, to mention that I haven't asked you about um, that you think yeah. is important? I mean, we have a pretty like a strong automated process for looking at applications. Um, we don't just bring anybody in for an interview. We don't just screen call anybody. Um, our application forms are not necessarily conventional. We don't, we do ask for like the resume and the cover letter, et cetera. But a lot of it is just like different types of questions or give us exam. It depends on the role, right? Like it depends on what position you're actually applying for. But let's say, you know, we had a, a position for a retention focused marketer and email focused marketer. And, and the question wasn't, it wasn't just about the resume. It was like, here's a hypothetical situation. How, what's your thought process on addressing this problem? Um, they don't necessarily need to know the exact metrics in order to do that, but that's a huge screening part for us. If the, that question and the answer to that question isn't amazing, we don't even call them. Um, and if after on the phone, like we'll spend some time on the phone, right? It's usually half an hour to 40 minutes um, just chatting with them to get a good understanding of their culture. And then if we really like them from that phone call, then we bring them in. And that kind of the idea is like we don't want to waste our time with somebody who we're not almost positive about already. Uh, so we don't bring some anybody else in. Once somebody comes into the office, we have a pretty good track record of like it's pretty good conversion rate. Right. But then. Even after we decide that we like the person, we give them a test, like a take-home test, um, and and that goes a little bit more in debt. We'll we'll pay them for if it takes a long time, right? Uh, it's like a contract position, but it'll be like you have a couple hours, fill out this test, give us a detailed example, and you can really tell the hard workers from the ones who aren't. I remember we had uh, one of my first SEO growth hires. He, I asked him to. He's French, so the concern was like, can will he be able to write well? And then I was just like, yeah, he seems fine. <laughs> and I got him to do an S is for an SEO position, so it's like do an SEO audit of our site, answer these questions, um, but write it as like a blog post, so I can see how you would format the content. Um, and he wrote this like crazy huge audit. Like he definitely went above and beyond to answer the questions. I could see the amount of work and the research that went in there. And this is an example of like, uh, I don't know. And I was like, yes, the work ethic is there, right? Let's hire him. Um, so things like that are what I focus on is like, you can follow the, the basic instructions or you can take that and really make it something exceptional. And that's what's more important. I'm also glad you're mentioning this at Hotjar, for example, that's what we do when we hire people. There is always a task at the end that is paid, usually take two to three days uh, to complete. And you have to talk to the people of the, the member of the team, certain member of the team. 
to get it completed. So you can see how they interact with you. You can see how they take feedback. You can see whether they are doing stuff or they're just talking about doing stuff. Yeah, it's also the great differentiator between a big yes and a big no. You can see straight away. It's just so easy. So yeah, the, the cost, the, the money it costs to, to pay someone for a contract like this to do a few hours versus the money it's going to cost you to make a bad hire is just, just, just a no brainer, right? So maybe flipping, flipping that on its head before we move on to the next step, thinking in the position of someone who wants to become a marketer who doesn't necessarily have the experience. From what we said, what do you think are the, the advice we should give those folks? So first be thorough. Like when you, if you have a, a task to do, like do it hundred percent or 110% give like show what you're made of. Do you have any other tips or advice? So, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me. So when I, I was starting out, I like, I didn't care. Right. I was just looking for a job. I wasn't necessarily like, Oh my God, I want to be a marketer. Um, and I made that very clear. I, in my cover letter, I'm like, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. Here's my degree. Here's what I'm doing. Here's why I think I might be good at this, but I don't necessarily care that much. So I was like, if you're looking for somebody who has, you know, all the experience, all the skill sets, who's going to do it the general way. Uh, great. Go hire that person. Don't call me. This was my cover letter. And I was, I think it was at like the end of a bunch of interviews and I just like, I had given up. I didn't care anymore. Um, and I was just like, but if you're looking for somebody, who's going to have like a creative who's hardworking, who can think creatively and who's a good critical thinker, then call me um, because that's all I can offer. But I don't necessarily care about marketing and um, but I'll do it and I can do it well or figure it out. Um, and that's how I got my job at Vengage, right? Like I got called maybe four months later. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily important for somebody to want to be a marketer. Um, I think what's more important is showing that, you know, Nobody like how many people actually care are so passionate about what they're doing. Eventually you build the passion or you learn about it. Yeah, you can be a little bit excited by it. Um, but I think showing that you are hardworking, you can figure things out, you can think critically, you understand the value of um, putting in the effort and putting in the work and focusing on results, uh, that those are all qualities that are important for a marketer. If you are one of those people who is like, Oh my God, my dream is to be a marketer. If, if that is the case, you should also have done a lot of research and probably gotten somewhere by now. So if somebody's like, I really want to be a marketer, you've read all this stuff, you've probably practiced it. You you're doing something. So it always comes back to results. Like if I'm, I'm more, I'm, I believe more people who come in and they're like, I don't really want to be a marketer, but um, I think, or like, I haven't thought about it, but I think I could be good at it. Here's why. It's the honesty. So it's like a half answer, but that's just my opinion. No, no, it's not a half answer. It's a, it's a great answer. Uh, because one thing that I can extract from that as well is to be fucking honest and authentic, right? You don't need to try to be someone else. And I think the fact that you, you applied a few times and then you got sick of it and you basically pulled yourself onto the paper, like you actually showed your true colors in a sense, that's when it, 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 it ticked, right? And I know it's difficult. It's easy for me to say that from this perspective, I'm just talking to each other. I'm not in a position where I need a job. I know it's difficult to do, but marketing is all about also standing out, making sure that you use some of those marketing skills to be noticed. And so I would argue that taking some risk when it comes to applying, such as the risk that you mentioned here, is pretty much something I would uh, advise people to do. Because everyone else is just the same cover letter, the same fucking CV template, the same thing. And like, what is going to stand out for people, right? Yeah. And if you're pretending to be somebody else in your application, well, guess what? You have to pretend to be that person for the rest of your job. So you might as well be yourself um, because that's who people are interested in. Of course, it depends on the industry, right? This is just for this is how I see it for SaaS marketers in the startup environment. But if you're in like the medical industry, maybe don't do that. Um, so it. it but yeah, I look for authentic people because those it's all about building relationships with users, with clients, with partners, whoever it is that you need to be your true self. And if you're not comfortable or confident enough with that, then why would anyone else like you? So be authentic, be honest, be confident in yourself. Um, put 110% in your work if you're asked to, be a ta to do tasks. Um, I think those are great advice. So let's say... We've moved on to the task stage. We are hiring this person. 
How do you like to onboard them? How do you like to start managing them to make sure they are starting on the right foot? Yeah, so we, again, it depends on the role specifically, but we have a marketing playbook. We actually, we use Trello and we have like a big checklist of all the stuff that we want to walk you through um, in your first and second week. So we have what we call performance indicators. Um, in the first week, I usually go over like uh, all of our assessment, how we do assessments. Um, and I, this is important because I don't assess based on skills only. I assess based on core values, goals, and skill development. Um, and I like to talk about this in the first week with every new hire because if they get scared by that conversation and the intensity of that conversation, I can already tell um, if, if they're going to be a good fit. Um, and then, you know, we, we have a playbook, so they go through the playbook. There's some general performance indicators just to see if they can execute on on some tasks, but it, it depends on the role. Most of the people that report to me now are typically own a different channel or a different area, so uh, the expectation is a bit higher if they come in. I just ask them, I'm like, hey, what's your plan for the next few weeks? Here's the channel. Like, what are you going to do to grow? How are you going to hit these results? Um, and then from there, I can guide them to the right place, but I don't believe in having a task-based approach to managing. I, I, that's not why I hire people. I hire people to do something that I can't do because I don't have the time or don't necessarily have the specific skill development or in that area. Um, and my job is just making the decisions and making sure that it's, it's focused on the goals. And, and so I just tell them to tell me what they're going to do and how they're going to plan for it. And then if they want, if they need advice on how to improve in that area, that's where I come in. Um, but that it's, it's more about like, again, continuing to assess the critical thinking and the follow through, the execution, the, the ideas, the data analysis all of those other important soft skills that kind of tie into marketing. So remind me, how many, how many are in your team now? How many marketers do you have? So I don't only manage marketing. Now with growth, I manage operations as well. So HR is under me. Uh, so I, my direct reports include, I have seven direct reports, and then there's on the marketing side, three other managers or team leads one is success, which is retention focus. Uh, there's a few people there, probably like close to 15 people cool. on just marketing. Yeah. Yeah, quite a, a, a bunch of people now. So remind me what you said about your trailer board and on the first week. You said you look at, so you, you go through the core values with them and you mentioned others, uh, a bunch of other stuff. So how how does the conversation go? Like, what what do you mean when people start to get scared? What is the intensity that you're putting there? What do you what do you tend to tell them? I mean, I'm not I'm I'm no bullshit, and I don't sugarcoat anything when I give direction to people. I, it's it's usually pretty to the point. Uh, if something's not going well, I'll say I try to tie it back. Like I'm not mean about it, but it's. I'll just try to focus on the facts, right? So uh, that's what I what I'll do. And if somebody seems turned off or hurt by direct feedback, that's usually a pretty big indicator for me that I'm like, if you're gonna get upset about this or take this personally, unfortunately, like your job is going to be dealing with a lot of different types of rejection, right? Because if you're doing SEO specifically too, you have to do a lot of outreach and you get a lot of rejection and there's different types of partnerships or deals. And if you have to be able to be resilient to overcome that. So if I get any inclination that somebody is just like, Ooh, like this seems nerve wracking in the way that I communicate the expectations, then I'm usually, I, I don't have maybe as high hopes for that person. Uh, but yeah, like because we have, let, let's say the core values, right? Like if I if I talk about our core value of we own our jobs, um, and this is the accountability thing, we have we have different. Um, it's like a checklist. So there's a plus, a plus minus, and a minus, um, and what the expectation is for each of those categories. And ideally, everybody wants to be a plus, right? Um, and I tell them, I'm like, if you're a minus or you have anything like any of the core values, even one of them falls under a minus, that's a bad sign and you're probably not going to last. Um, so don't even look at that. Just look at the top ones. And that's what you need to be aiming for. And the bare minimum expectation, like if you just want to meet the bar is a plus minus. Right. Um, and even that is 
pretty intense. So because when you're looking at this, you're like, holy shit, these expectations are high and the bar is really high. And then I also tell them when you meet the bar, I'm going to raise it higher (laughs) because the expectation is that you improve. So if you meet the bar and you're at a three now and then you keep doing the same thing for the rest of or you're at a plus now, you keep doing the same thing for the rest of the year. That's not good enough because once you hit the bar, the bar goes higher up. It's like limbo, right? Except it's the opposite. Like you keep adjusting it and you keep having to compete against yourself. And that's the only way people can grow. Uh, otherwise, you you reach the, the ceiling really quick and then what? You're going to get complacent and not care about your job anymore. So that's like the first conversation that I have with people. So it's pretty intense conversation. <laughs> and then that, that typically sets people in the right direction. But like first day, you're starting out, you're all fresh, you're all happy, and boom. You're like all excited. And you're then like, listen. Call you you're into a room, in, I'm like, bring your tissues. Yeah, you're already <laughs> fucking minus here, okay? You only started, but you're minus everywhere. So shit's going to have to happen or else. But more seriously, give me an example of an expectation that you might have in this plus minus, a plus minus thing. So I don't know, you mentioned SEO as an example of a role, so maybe you can think of that. Yeah. So with the core values, like are they're all behavioral, they're not focused on skill sets at all. Um, but then there are certain tasks that you have to do that allow us to see if your results oriented or if you can actually um, execute on something. So for SEO, we have, you know, we have a pretty robust process. So in their first two weeks, they have to get two links minimum for if they're on the content team. It de- Again, it depends on which team you're on, but there's always like some type of task that you have to push out and assess uh, in your first couple of weeks. And and we have sprints right across the whole company. So it's not just on the product side, but it's also on the marketing side. So you have to have completed a few things in the sprint, um, whether that's like if you're on, if you're writing, uh, you have to get a guest post or you have to like publish something on the blog, or if you're a video person, you have to, um, you know, come up with an idea and actually uh, push it out. But ultimately, everyone has to do promotion to some degree uh, on our team. And it always comes down to outreach, right? So we usually get people to go through the link process just because it gives you an idea of the framework required. So everybody comes in knowing how to do SEO within the first couple of weeks, because that is our bread and butter um, for acquisition. So even if we have other channels and that maybe isn't your channel, you have to do outreach anyway. So you have to go through that process. And if people complain about that or they're like, well, I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, (laughs) that's how we're evaluating you. So do it anyway. Right. Uh, But yeah, like the, I mean, in terms of our core values, you know, the, an example of one would be uh, for owning your job. If you encounter a problem, you always offer possible solutions for addressing it. And those solutions are well-researched and justified, and you have a track record of being right. Um, So it's it's high expectations, right? Like I don't, you have to be right. And that means like you're, you are making well-justified decisions. Well, okay. I'm getting scared, even though I'm not even part of your team <laughs> at this stage. Uh, nice. Oh, okay. I'm not a monster. Still, <laughs> I mean, with and then granted, after the first couple of weeks, when everyone's scared, then they realize what my personality is and start making fun of me. So it doesn't Good. last very long, that fear. <laughs> but that's what it takes, right? To build a, a fast-paced company. Uh, you're bootstrapped, as you mentioned. You're, you don't have investors or anything like this. So the money comes from customers. You need to serve them well. They need to stay you need to acquire new ones, usually from word of mouth and SEO and all of that. I mean, that's what it takes, right? So I'm, I'm glad you shared all of that with me because it really goes into the detail of what you need to do as a company to grow and therefore to have your people grow with you or else, or else other people are going to take your place or other companies are going to take your place. So thanks for sharing all mm-hmm. of that with me. Super insightful. I think I can ask you thousands more questions around it, but I don't want to drain you too much because we have a few minutes left. Um, so I ask a few questions at the end of each podcast interview. And I'd love to know your answer to those ones, especially to this one. That's my favorite question, right? So you shared a few. There's one that I'd like to ask. What do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? Are you looking for a soft skill or I'm assuming it's a soft skill if it's for the me. next 20 or 30 years? I'm going to assume that it is. Um, and... In terms of, that's hard because there's so many things that you need to know. Um, 
But I guess one thing would be learning how to communicate across different departments and not being so siloed in your work. Uh, the reason for this is uh, the best marketer is understand how different teams work, how everybody, what everybody's job is. And they really have a strong understanding of that, um, what is required in the weeds. Uh, there was a quote that I read that there's, you know, there's two types of managers. There's the ones that there's like the managers and the leaders. And, and there's this assumption that CEOs or, or people in the exec seats are powerful because they look down at everyone and they're at the top and they have this authority. Uh, but real power is being totally integrated and totally understanding um, all the moving parts. Uh, and and the, only, the reason for that is because you become more aligned, you can communicate and you can move in the same direction. Uh, so I think that's probably the most important thing, because if you can learn how to successfully communicate with different uh, parts of the team, not just in marketing, you yourself will become a more powerful marketer because uh, you understand all the needs of the users and the company. So can you share with me maybe one way to become better at this, like from experience? What what What's the one thing to do? I mean, one thing that we practice is we operate in squads. Um, we we used to be, you know, more functional teams uh, where marketing was doing their own thing, product was doing their own thing. Um, but now we also have a marketing squad and there's different teams or projects within that squad where uh, we have engineers, we have product designers, and we're all working together on the solution. That is very user focused because, you know, from our research, like if you're on retention, you're still a marketer and there's still like... Uh, you know, targeted acquisition goals with that. But a lot of the stuff comes down to product changes with marketing. Same thing, right? We want to attract more of the right people. We want to improve conversion rates. We want to change things across the funnel. You can't just go and tell engineering, hey, put this together. You have to make sure that everybody's working on the same thing, that the different parts of the funnel are not broken, aligned and understand who the user is and we're doing all of the work we're doing uh, to make that impact. So like, you know, operating on a squad basis could be one of those things that you do or try, um, even if it's just with one project. Yeah. So, so mixing and matching the functions and departments towards one objective that is geared towards the user, as you said, retention, like it's about keeping people engaged and using the product could be conversion, the parrot metrics, like the ARR, like the acquisition mm -hmm. activation, uh, Revenue, retention, and I'm going to forget one. Referral, there you go. So yeah, I like uh, what you shared there because at Hotja, we do the same actually. We have uh, tribes, we call them, but it's pretty much the same. And it seems like a lot of tech companies and even companies outside of tech do the same because they've understood the, the value of communicating with each other and, and focusing on the, on the people behind mm -hmm. their screen. Um, what are the top three resources you'd recommend listeners? It could be anything. So it could be podcasts, events, books. What are your top three? Um, I, I read, I try to read mostly books and blogs lately. Um, my focus has mostly been on, um, on management and leadership and strategy content, not so much tactical marketing, but the most useful thing for me in terms of getting information has actually been talking to people and reaching out. So one of the things that we do in our team is what we call growth interviews, where the expectation is once a month, everybody has to interview somebody who's doing, who's succeeding really well at something that they want to succeed in in the realm of marketing. So let's say it's email, somebody who's really good at, uh, you know, converting through email. Uh, you'd interview them for about 30 minutes, buy them a drink, buy them a coffee, whatever. Um, and then you share that like two minutes worth of points that you learned. Uh, the idea for that is to expand everyone's network, but also, you know, people don't always write the real things. They don't share that as much out in the open. So having a conversation with somebody is, um, is, is really important because then you can also come back and keep talking to them later. Um, in terms of podcasts, I really like the podcast masters of scale. Um, I, I just like listening to the founders and, and kind of their thought process on how, uh, from the early days and, and all the mistakes that they made. Um, I learn from other people's mistakes and from practicing and doing things. Um, uh, and I mean, for SEO traffic think tank, Matthew Barbie's, um, SEO group, really useful uh, place to meet people. A lot of really smart SEOs in there. I, I meet a lot of people at events. They speak at a lot of conferences. So, 
just networking, I think, is probably the biggest learning thing for me. Yeah, great answer. And I completely agree with you. I've learned more from talking to people on this podcast than I have from reading books uh, or listening to podcasts myself. It's just it's just great to meet people who are much smarter than you, who have done stuff, who figure stuff out, who've made mistakes, that you, so you don't have to do the same. So yeah, concur with yeah. everything you said so far. Um, Nadia, it's been a pleasure to talk to. I really mean it. Super authentic, super honest, super actionable, a lot of specific stuff out there that I know people who want to hire people, also people who want to be hired, will learn from. So thank you very much for your time. Uh, where can listeners connect with you and learn more from you? Check out the Vengage site or my personal site is just thisisnadia.com uh, and I have a contact form through there. So that's the spot or on Twitter. I'm pretty active there. And all the links will be added to the show notes of the episode, right? So uh, if you don't know how to spell Nadia, which is N-A-D-Y-A, right? This is Nadia.com and all of that, it will be on everyoneheadsmarketers.com. So again, Nadia, thanks so much for your time. Thanks. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always uns- unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet. And we always... Uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people would be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, came through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.